FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Welcome, and you are listening to and perhaps even watching the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz. Today's 8 18 20. Well, we've got markets keep going up, dollars going down. Let's see what Michael Pento has to say about that. Pento portfolio strategies. I got that right, Michael? You do. And normally, right. you know, I have the face for radio, but it's nice to see your <laughs> handsome mug oh, on, you uh, too. on this new format. And uh, let's hope it works out well. Thanks for yeah, having me. It's, it's been working. So pentoport.com, that's the website. So, well, I guess I was going to talk about this third, but we should probably talk about it now. <laughs> Gold is going up. It's up 40 some odd dollars uh, as of yesterday on the spot. And uh, coincidentally, uh, Mr. Buffett takes a major position in Barrick Gold. Uh, this is not my favorite company, not so much for its financial performance. It's the largest producer of gold in the world, but um, other issues. But what is the significance here? Is it just a happenstance thing? Is Buffett late to the party? What's the deal? Well, he's definitely, he's definitely late to the party. Um, I happen to own, uh, on all full disclosure, I do own Barrick Gold as a portion of my portfolio for my clients and myself. So um, I, I think what's most interesting about Warren Buffett, Kerry, is that not only did he buy Barrick Gold, but he also sold all of his shares of Goldman Sachs. So I think that says a lot. You know, Warren Buffett, I love Warren Buffett. I, I don't idolize him like you know, the mainstream financial media does. But I do think he has a really great indicator. What do you think? Of, I think of Warren Buffett. I think of the Buffett indicator. And the Buffett indicator, as you're well aware of, is the total market value of equities divided by the underlying economy, GDP, the output per, per annum of the uh, U.S. economy. And it makes sense to me. You know, the, the, the valuation of equities should never really outstrip greatly the underlying support of value of the economy underneath it, right? Cognitively, intuitively makes sense, right? Well, that metric, which has spent you know decades around sixty five percent, is now over one hundred and seventy seven percent today. So the valuation of equities is one hundred and seventy seven percent of GDP. So uh, that's when I think of Warren Buffett. I think of that indicator, which just tells you how scary uh, and crazy this market is over its skis. But I think the fact that Warren Buffett he's buying gold and he's selling bank shares. So what does that tell me? And tell it's pretty, you know, pretty much either side of the same coin. So what they're saying is that banks make money by the interest rate spread, spread between low interest, you know, short-term interest rates and long-term interest rates. Well, what Warren Buffett is saying, or at least admitting late to the game, as you point out, that spread is contracting. So long-term interest rates are coming down, nominal long-term rates are coming down, short-term rates are pegged at zero, banks are going to be under a lot of pressure. And why is, you know, why is that good for gold? Well, if you take nominal interest rates on the 10-year treasury now, it's 0.5 something percent, a half. It's basically a little over a half of 1% going out 10 years in duration. In the context of an inflation target that's above 2% on the core PCE deflator, you think how, how, how asinine that sounds. But what you're saying is, gold, what, what I think Buffett is saying, hey, banks can't make money. Nominal interest rates are headed towards zero. And yet we have this a myopic focus from 
the part of global central banks to engender some kind of inflation target that's north of 2%. Um, by the way, this target is um, it's equal on both sides. So as, for as long as, symmetrical they call it, so as long as inflation was below 2% is how long the duration and the intensity has to be above 2%. So if you just do the math, you know, zero, basically 0% going out 10 years, heading to zero, only a half percent now, minus an inflation rate that's well over 2% and rising, you sell banks, you buy gold. Yeah. So a logical conclusion. I've heard I've heard people say, though, that uh, Buffett's getting on in his years. He's not yeah. as hands-on. Maybe he's more behind the scenes than he uh, used to be. Uh, he was always a big... Uh, is always very anti-gold, barbarous yeah. relic type guy. Right. So right. interesting. Well, that, well that, that's what I'm, I'm saying. He's, you know, he, I guess he's going, he, he's growing wiser with years. You know, he's getting wisdom. <laughs> let's give him that. Yeah. Rather than make him senile, let's go, let's say what he is. He's getting wiser with his years, hopefully. Hopefully we uh, all are. But, uh, you know, I'm always, I've used this saying so many times on the show, I can't remember who said it. Some Brit said it. Uh, we've uh, we've learned absolutely nothing, and we've forgotten nothing, and uh, that sums up our economic policy makers wow. incredibly well, right? Oh, oh my gosh! Uh, the, you know, I always laugh when I hear you know the the tools, the the big tool shed that they have at the central bank of the United States and all central banks. We have all these tools. Well, Kerry, you and I both know what's the only tool they really have. They have different iterations and measures and means of wrecking your currency. That's all they do. They do you know, dollar swap lines with other countries. Yeah. They, they can borrow, you know, they can exchange euros for dollars. Okay. They can, um, they can make loans to primary markets now. They're making primary loans to corporations. Well, where does that money come from? They print dollars out of thin air. Uh, they can buy junk bonds. I mean, that's what they do. They have all these programs, but it's all the same thing. How do we debauch the dollar? Yeah, it's uh, Mark Faber. Love him, hate him. He always said they're just money printers when you get down to it. That's all they are is money printers. And God forbid we should have a fixed money supply where they lose their power. Man, what fun would it be being a central (laughs) banker then when you can't wreck the world? Oh, you know, that's one of the things that one of the reasons why we're probably the main reason why we don't have a gold standard any longer. That's the reason why people are putting themselves on their own, their own savings on a gold standard, because you just can't wreck the supply of gold by fiat or decree. It costs X amount of dollars, well over a thousand dollars an ounce now to pull it out of the ground. You just can't change that. This is, you know, it takes capital, energy, intensity to pull an ounce of gold out of the ground. That's its intrinsic worth right there. Of course, it's beautiful, rare, and uh, virtually indestructible. I mean, that's another reason why. But you know, this is why gold has been able to hold its purchasing power for thousands of years. It's, it's really not even an investment. I got to tell you, gold is, an, is not an investment per se. Gold mining shares are an investment. Gold isn't an investment. It's a way to make sure that your savings and your wealth is preserved, no matter what government does. Now, by the way, when you can put your money in the bank, and earn a real interest rate, gold doesn't do very well. So, you know, you put your deposit in the bank and inflation's at 2%, but your deposit is 4%, gold doesn't tend to do very well. 
And why should it? Because gold is a currency. It's money competing with the government's garbage that they give you, their confetti. But when I put my money in the bank and earn nothing, and they all are desirous, central banks are all desirous of ruining the purchasing power of that 0% return through inflation, well, the gold is, you know, you're forced into buying gold. And that's why it's doing so well. It's the end of the story. It's not, you know, it's not uh, uh, because of uh, uncertainty or, or global uh, confrontations, conflagrations. Um, it's not, you know, they say disinflation, deflation. It, 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 look at the level of real interest rates. If you want to know what to do with gold, what is the level of real interest rates? What is that direction? And if you can answer that question, hmm, the direction of real interest rates is most likely heading more profoundly negative. And I think the Fed was even thinking about instituting something called yield control. In other words, yield curve control. In other words, they would start actively announcing that they're going to purchase longer duration bonds, making sure that the 10-year note never goes up regardless of what inflation rate you have. Oh, boy. And so, you know, Kerry, to be honest with you, things can just be getting started with gold depending on the, the actions taken in D.C. All right. And then we have uh, gold's poorer brother or <laughs> poor cousin, silver. Uh, I remember Charles Biederman saying uh, maybe six, seven years ago saying, Silver is the worst investment in the world, the worst. It's yielding nothing. It's losing its value every time you look. One day you are going to wake up and all of a sudden silver is going to be the best investment in the world. Uh, we're almost there, aren't we? Yeah, it looks like, you know, and even and even me, I was, you know, to be honest with you, full disclosure, I wasn't the biggest fan of silver either because of its industrial component. So, you know, I might have missed out a little bit on, on the silver run, although I've owned, you know, I used to own Franco Novato for my clients. Mm -hmm. Also has some silver exposure. But to be honest with you, you know, silver is doing fantastic. Gold is doing great. Just the point I guess I'm trying to make is, you know, whereas you say, well, 5% of your portfolio should be in precious metals. Now that's not true. You need to have more than that. I, I, my portfolio is north of 20% in precious metals and really, thank God, doing very well. Yeah. Hey, and... For a long time, you know, we're going back to 2011. I became a full-time podcaster June 7th, 2011, Michael. Oh, and, good timing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, thinking that the dollar was going to go south, collapse, yeah. and uh, we'd be back on some type of metallic standard. Mm. Not as wise then as I am now, hopefully. Right. And, uh, you know, spent uh, all these years in purgatory, not being an out-and-out old bug saying bye 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 yeah. you know i saw within a year i kind of got it that the inflation was working we would be out of the eye of the storm for a while be out of the storm for a while and eventually we would be back in and it was going to be far worse never dreaming of the uh, covid epidemic uh, yeah. pandemic taking place but the, rea the reaction to it i always said was the cure was far worse than the disease fsn radio it's all about what's next with multi-million ounce potential at its Yellowknife District project, Gold Terra is a company on the move. You'll find them at goldterracorp.com and their ticker on the OTC is TRXXF. On the TSX, it's YGT. The management
management team is headed up by near-legend Gerald Panaton of Detour Gold fame, who's convinced that Yellowknife's potential is far greater than its current 735,000-ounce resource. The mine benefits from great infrastructure. Employees can pick up breakfast at Tim Hortons on the way to work. And there's multiple high-grade discoveries putting Gold Terra on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. And that should do wonders for the stock price as well. So head on over to goldterracorp.com and sign up for their notifications now. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Yeah. Well, can we just get real? I just want to touch really quick. It's, it's so important for your um, your audience to understand. You know, people say, well, the V-shaped recovery crowd says, well, all we need is a vaccine and we can get back to normal. You know, I, I just want to reiterate, it's very important to understand what was going on prior to the pandemic, the Wuhan virus breakout. You know, people seem to forget, and I come on your program, I think I mentioned it last time I was on. People forget what happened both in 2018 and 2019. So in 2018, the Fed had to stop raising interest rates. And in 2019, they cut rates three times in the six months prior to the start of 2020. So three times they cut because of the repo market froze. And you think about the repo market, you know, repo is secured lending between, you know, banks. So you're, you're a primary dealer lending money and you're lending money to a uh, shadow bank. The shadow bank comes to the, to, the, uh, to the window here, the repo discount window, and they say, you know, I have a treasury and I would like to, re- I would like to borrow money overnight. And the bank says, no, I don't even want to lend you overnight money for 10 <laughs> percent. I mean, this is what was happening in September of 2020 when everything was great. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a political person. I'm a libertarian. Uh, I, don't, I don't like either party. Remember, this is supposed to be the greatest economy the world has ever seen. The Fed had a cut rates three times, went back into QE to bail out the repo market, which was completely froze. And the stock market didn't have a very good you know, late September, early October the stock market. The S&P was down like 130 points in a couple of days before Powell came in and started you know, flooding the banking system with liquidity. Well, basically, the long and the short of it is that that particular shadow bank didn't really own that treasury. It was rehypothecated over and over again. And the shadow bank was bankrupt because they were loaded up with something called corporate bonds, corporate debt. That, by the way, was the nucleus of the crisis prior to the pandemic was corporate debt. Corporate debt, business debt, to be specific, was 80% of GDP. Carrie, that has never been the case in the history of ever. It was up 60% since the Great Recession. And now we learned that since the pandemic, this is according to Z1, in Q1 of 2020, to the Q1 2020, corporations and businesses added debt at a pace that's $3 trillion an annual rate. And this is on top of the insolvent, you know, crap pile that they have, they already had prior to the pandemic. So we already saw, you know, primary dealers weren't lending to the shadow banks because when they went to the repo window, everybody knew this bank was insolvent because of the debt that they held. And, you know, it's not me. It's, you know, if I can make 10% overnight in a world where the treasury was yielding like 2%, why would I not do that? Because I knew your bank's insolvent and I'm not going to get paid back my loan. And you don't own and you don't hold the collateral. So the world before the pandemic was not nirvana. It was the opposite. And since then, I mean, look what we've done since then. The debt that we've added to, to, and the, the falsification of, as, of asset prices and the falsification of interest rates that we've added since the pandemic. I mean, you, you think of I mean, I know you don't think. 
But people think a vaccine is going to engender some kind of you know nirvana. Sadly mistaken. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. This was inevitable. It was going to happen. And the pandemic was a very, very convenient uh, means of bringing it about and making it look like it was an act of God or some calamity like uh, biblical proportions. Uh, when in reality, we know what was really happening. And I said from the get go, when you see the repo markets freeze up, seize up, uh, you know, the repo markets, the pawn shop for banks. And when JP Morgan just pulls out 125 billion bucks in one day and says, we're not lending anymore. That was the sign. I said it back then. I told people this is going to get really, really bad. And then the Fed comes marching in and bails everybody out. We still have uh, companies borrowing money to buy back shares. Apple's doing it still. And uh, the madness just continues. So I agree with you. A vaccine is the least of our concerns now. This pandemic is going, in my opinion, burn itself out. It's already mm-hmm. diminishing. And, but it's besides the point because people are so convinced that the pandemic is the root of all evil and everything that ails them, yes. that they can't see, see the handwriting on the wall. Well, the, the federal government, you're so, so correct. The federal government was already bankrupt going into this pandemic. Now they've, they've piled on an extra 30% government debt, 30% in just a matter of you know, a few months, Gary. So now, now, and this is the quote I love to say when I come on shows like yours. Our debt, our national debt, is now a thousand percent of our federal revenue. A thousand percent. Think about that. How insane that is. You, when you, when you, when you owe a thousand percent of your revenue, you're technically, you know, at least you have a liquidity crisis if not insolvent. But it would be one thing, Kerry, if they were paying off that debt on an, you know, they're paying chunks of that debt off, you know, eating into it annually. But when you're adding four trillion dollars on a, for your annual deficit for fiscal 2020. You're adding four trillion to the thousand percent of your uh, debt as a compared to your income. You got a big problem. Yeah. That's just a, you know you got a huge issue, and I don't think it's getting much better either. And and I just want to say one thing real quick is that to me that means that the um, the facade from the Fed that occurred in 2018, 2019 called um, quantitative tightening. You know, the facade that, hey, this is uh, extraordinary measures we're taking. We're going to take the balance sheet from 800 billion to four and a half trillion. We're going to just take that right out. That's not, Gary, don't you dare call that debt monetization because this is (laughs) the temporary phenomenon. And you're wrong about that. We're going to drain our balance sheet back down to, you know, close to where it was, but maybe not all the way down because growth in the economy. But they tried that and it failed, you know, epically. It was an epic failure. So we, we're not going to be able to ever normalize interest rates because when you think about if the government had to, instead of paying the Fed its interest and getting that interest credited back to it, so it's a freebie, if they had to actually float that debt to the public and pay a real you know, market-based interest rate on $27 trillion in debt, I don't know what it would be, Kerry, but it wouldn't be 0.5%, especially, no. in, a world, especially in a world of... Two percent, you know, Nirvana inflation that they think. Yeah, well, my grandfather had an eighth grade education and became very successful during the Great Depression. And he always used to say, when you're paying interest on interest, you got a real problem. And that's what our government's doing. They're paying interest on interest 
They've been doing this for a long time, no end in sight. I think we'll leave it at that. Michael, just tell uh, people how to contact you and what you can do for what you can do in these calamitous times for you to hold on to your wealth. So um, the website is pentoport.com, P-O-R-T, pentoport.com. And my email address is mpento at pentoport.com. You can call the office here at 732. They probably can hear the phone going crazy. Yeah, my, assistant, my, my, assistants, my assistants are trying to answer the phone, probably because I'm on with you. <laughs> <laughs> is the is the phone number here. And if you have around $100,000 to invest, I have something called the inflation deflation and economic cycle model. And whereas we were talking in the pre-interview, you know, I'm not a perma anything. So uh, I'm not a perma bear. I'm not a perma bull, not even a perma gold bug. Uh, I'm just saying to you that the, the cycles of depression and deflation are going to be matched with cycles of intractable and uh, epic stagflation. And you have to know how to play those cycles. They require totally different investments. So, um, you know, that's what I do here. I have a 20 point model. Uh, I, what I have been always bearish on is the idea that a government can provide a viable, sustainable economy through interest rate manipulation, massive debt accumulation and asset price inflation. That's what I always said was going to fail. And it's failing now. Right. And everybody, everybody's coming to realize that this is wait, something is not right here. I've been saying it for years. You've been saying it for years. You, you predicate your whole business on, um, uh, on giving the truth to people. And, um, and sometimes we look like fools, but we, we're, we're kind of being vindicated here saying, you know, we knew that this was an unsustainable philosophy from governments. And now it's being borne out in spades. Could not agree with you more, Michael. I mean, this is kind of my fourth or fifth career in life. Uh, it was covering attorney and uh, by far the most satisfying one. Not because I'm right. I'd much rather be wrong and see everything because it's hard to watch all the suffering that's taking place. And so many yeah. of you out there write to me. I get a lot of emails saying, hey, thank you so much. I am so happy I listened to you all these years, even though uh, gold wasn't doing great, even though uh, my stock market investments were doing well, I stocked up, whatever. It's, uh, it's a lot more gratifying than uh, suing people in court and taking their stuff away from them, well, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, at the end of the day, our worth is you know, mostly predicated on how we help other people. So, you know, you, you know this is yeah. why I started this firm, because I realized, I realized, you know what I realized early on is that listening to mainstream financial media is not going to serve investors very well. They have to go to places like yours because you tell the truth and you'll give them the real news, the real data, the real analysis. And they, you know, as as Americans, they can make their own decisions. You know, they can make a decision as to how sustainable it is to have a central bank decide that they can purchase, you know, they can actually monetize. Let's use the word mon they can monetize trillions and trillions of dollars of corporate and government debt inexorably you know, in perpetuity without any consequences. Yeah. You answer, you know, let them answer that own question. <laughs> yeah, you just erase the debt. It's like it never even existed, Michael. And uh, and so what if the currency goes to hell in a handbasket? Everybody's currency is going to hell in a handbasket at the same rate or faster. I mean, mm -hmm. all the all the currencies in the in the world that have blown up, countries that have blown up. <laughs> directly as a result of this misbegotten policy 
Yeah. It's the uh, supreme Turkey, Lebanon. Look what's going on yeah. over there. I mean, Turkey, definitely. Turkey just went hyper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, bank runs and uh, it's happened in China. They don't want you to hear about it. But hey, don't have no fear because mm-hmm. the cryptocurrency is going to fix it all and everything will be fine once we do that. Well, yeah, right. If you believe yeah. that one, I got a bridge that they're probably going <laughs> to blow up. I got a bridge and connects Brooklyn and lower Manhattan. They'll probably blow it up in the next few weeks. But uh, before they do, I'll sell it to you. You can open up a toll booth there and make a fortune. Yeah, and, the, <laughs> the Federal Reserve um, blockchain cryptocurrency, which will preserve its value until they decide to split it every other year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not, a, it's not, you know, don't think of it as a stocks, you know, don't think of it as a dilution. Think of it as a split, divides. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, anyways, I think we'll leave it at that. So uh, pentoport.com, that's the, that's the website. Any questions or comments, email us, kl at kerrylutz.com. Our Twitter feed's at Kerry Lutz. Facebook page is Financial Survival Network. And of course, our main site, which we are in the midst of a major upgrade, first time in 10 years, is financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Michael, I'll just tell you a funny story. Sure. About three, four months ago, I was talking to my partner, Bill, and I was saying, you know, I don't feel like financial survival network is relevant anymore. (laughs) The economy is going, we have the best economy ever. And the planet. Yeah. And the history of the world, you know, goes back a long ways. Nobody cares about financial survival anymore. And Bill says, Carrie, you got like 10 years of building this brand. You can't just get rid of it. I'll ease it out. Now he says, you got to keep it. Trust me, you got to keep it. Here we are six months later. It's like, I'm relevant again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you were always relevant. Just you were a sage. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I'll leave it at that. But thank you yeah. for the the kind comments. We'll talk to you again real soon, Michael. Yeah. Keep up wow. the fight. My pleasure. Thank you for having me back on. FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.